Today, May 40 here. I want to talk about this hilarious interview with Johnny Monoxide. So we'll do that a little later in the show. But the number one story in the mainstream news media today is America heading into recession. I just think this is a great example of the difference between news and reality. So what the heck is news? And I have a great... passage of bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures. So the bureaucratically recognized event today is the release of what's going on with our gross national product. And that's also the administrative procedure. And we've been told that the GNP fell 0.9% in the second quarter. So this is the second straight quarter of GNP decline. That is the normal measure of what constitutes a recession. And if we had a Republican president right now, it would dominate the news that we are in recession, but we don't have a Republican president. So it's more nuanced, guys. Okay, this is normally what constitutes our measure of a recession, right? This is the conventional wisdom, but hey, we've got a Democratic president, so we need to look for nuance. We need to kind of play this down as we're heading into the midterms. We don't want to give too much of an advantage to the Republicans, but you probably knew we were in a recession months ago. So strippers were noticing back in February, right, when the Dow started plunging that we we're in a recession. So I'm not an economist. At one point in my life, I wanted to be an economist. But it just seems to me, by following the news since at least 1979, that the stock market is pretty much the best predictor out there for what's going on with the economy. So when did the stock market start crashing? Was it in late January or was it in, certainly by February, the stock market was crashing and strippers were noticing that nobody was out there, right, tipping them, right? And so it, it became pointless to, to go into work, particularly in Manhattan. Why, why go into work tipping them? Because you just weren't making tips. And why weren't strippers making tips? Because people felt a lot poorer given the decline in the stock market, All right? So... People in the real world, in reality, knew that we we're in recession by early February, right? Now, recession is dominating the news, but the news is uh, an artificial construct, right? The news is dominated by bureaucratically reached decisions, you know, released through administrative guidelines. And what you're experiencing what uh, the people around you are experiencing often very different from what's in the news. Let's go to Tucker Carlson. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Don't you think you've got a tough job? Huh? Imagine being Joe Biden's handlers. You spend all day trying to keep the guy away from hot mics. That's not easy. Biden feels about microphones the way golden retrievers feel about casseroles. Leave one on a low table and he pounces on it. And that's not good for anyone. Biden could declare war on Russia or tell Israeli officials to, quote, keep alive the honor of the Holocaust, both of which, by the way, he's actually done. So there's never any upside in letting Joe Biden speak in public. But unfortunately for the White House, sometimes you don't have a choice. Disasters happen. And when they do, the public expects somebody to pretend to be president. The American economy is currently a disaster. Therefore, Joe Biden had to talk. So his aides dutifully led him out to the podium today to say something edifying about it. What happened next has got to be one of the weirdest presidential briefings ever conducted. New economic numbers show our GDP has declined for two quarters in a row. That's the definition of a recession. We're in a recession. That's why Joe Biden had to hold the briefing. 
And yet Biden never once mentioned those numbers, not a single time. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? It was completely bizarre. Instead, Biden simply announced that there is no recession in the United States, no matter what you may have noticed about your own country. I repeat, there is no recession. In fact, thanks to the stalwart leadership of Joe Biden, we can announce record potato harvests in the provinces. The people are happy and thriving, period. And with that, Biden left the stage. Watch. And let me speak to one other issue. Let me speak to one other issue, the GDP and whether or not there, we are in a recession. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. Let me just give you what the facts are in terms of the state of the economy. Number one, we have a record job market of uh, record unemployment of 3.6% today. And the Inflation Reduction Act will add another $370 billion in clean energy tax credits in reconciliation, including incentives to accelerate domestic production of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and critical materials processing. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. See, Dumbo, significant banking personnel say we're not in a recession. Plus wind turbines, wind turbines. And if you don't believe it, 3.6% unemployment. We are winning. Pay no attention to the millions of former workers who are being paid by the government to stay home, leaving businesses without anyone to staff them. Why is the ice cream stand near your house closed in July? Well, because welfare pays more than scooping ice cream does. But ignore that. The economy is in great shape, though if there is one thing that might make it even better, other than wind turbines, it's printing billions more in fake money, which will definitely not accelerate our already terrifying level of inflation. That's why we're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act, because more money in the system will reduce inflation. It will, and it will because we say it will, because what matters is not the way that things actually are. What matters are the words we use to describe things. We can change reality merely by calling it something else. If we call a man a woman, that's what she is. If we call an open border a secure border, that's what we have. And as you just saw, if we tell you that a collapsing economy is a robust economy, well, then it's time to celebrate our newfound prosperity and feel free to buy champagne on your EBT card. It's on us. It turns out that when you think you're God, all that matters is what you say, your commands. In the beginning was the word. And this week, the word was definitely not recession. That word is now an operative. It's obsolete. And frankly, it's embarrassing. It's like stewardess or fireman or the Orient. It's not something you'd say around educated people. So to herald this important new change to our language, on July 21st, the White House officially changed the definition of recession. They said it, so it's true now. In a blog post, officials explained that two consecutive quarters of declining GDP is, quote, Neither the official definition nor the way economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. Not convinced? Well, you're not watching television because every official in the Biden administration, all these credential economists, went on camera to swear it was true. 
I do want to emphasize what a recession really means is a broad-based contraction yeah. in the economy. And even if that number is negative, we are not in a recession now. And certainly the, in terms of the technical definition, it's not a recession. The technical definition considers a much broader spectrum uh, of data points. The idea that uh, two quarters of negative GDP growth is a technical definition of a recession is wrong. If things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine recession? No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. Okay, so... Ignore the tape of Jenny Ellen. We shouldn't have played that. It's hard to think clearly. Ignore how mind-bogglingly repulsive she is. Ignore all the work she's done herself to destroy the American economy when she ran the Federal Reserve. Listen to what they're saying. Two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. That's not the definition of a recession. Really? We thought it was. We thought that mm, for about 50 years. No. Turns out we're insane. We're hallucinating. Lucy in the sky with diamond stuff. And the media have confirmed it. This is from Politico. Quote, the White House is pretty obviously right that even two quarters of shrinking GDP would not show the economy is currently in recession. That's the word from Ben White, who is the chief economics reporter at Politico. And he's backed up by the Associated Press, which is totally real. Just today, the AP reported that, quote, the U.S. economy shrank for a second straight quarter, raising fears that the nation may be approaching a recession. Oh, we're getting close now. In other words, two declining quarters of growth is not a recession, just like the White House said. And that sounds definitive. It's always been that way, as long as you don't have a memory that extends past, say, last week, because it was just a few weeks ago before the White House declared otherwise, that everyone was saying differently, including Ben White and the AP. They were still using the term stewardess. They were using the old definition. Want examples? Okay, how about this? June 22nd of this year, this same Ben White, assuming he's real, wrote in Politico, which unfortunately is, and we're quoting, I'm sorry to report that the conditions are ripe for a slide in gross domestic product growth that lasts at least two quarters, comma, the technical definition of recession. Ooh, Ben White. Could that be the same Ben White, the same Politico? Could be. And then in January of this year, which is 2022, we think, the AP reported the same thing. And we're quoting, Mexico's economy entered a technical recession at the end of last year with two consecutive quarters of contraction. Oh, Wow. So it turns out that was the definition prior to two weeks ago. In fact, it's been the definition for decades. In fact, you'll find it in every economic textbook ever written. It's all over the archives, the AP, which, because we're paid to do it, we slog through today. Here's one example. Quote, French economy falls back into recession, the AP reported back in 2013. Here's a direct quote from the article. A recession is defined as two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Whoa, whoa, you're not insane. No one dosed you. You're not hallucinating. Even CNN used to say this. As CNN White House correspondent John Harwood wrote on August 20th, 2019, back during Trump when Big Orange ran things, and we're quoting, recession equals economy shrinks for two quarters. Oh, wow. In fact, not to belabor the point, even Brian Deese, who is now the top White House economic advisor, used to run with that definition. And we're quoting, economists have a technical definition of recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. He wrote that back in 2008. Unfortunately for him, we found it. 
And yet this week, everything's different because you can't say stewardess anymore. So Deese's new position is, quote, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of recession. Whoa. Okay. If you say so, because in the beginning was the word, you are God now. But that does raise the question, if it's not a recession, then what is it? Well, for this and all other important matters, including intimate marital questions, we go to the White House press secretary, who informs us it's not a recession, it's, quote, a transition. When you look at it more broadly at the data, and that's why we're, we're seeing what we're seeing is that we are in a transition. We're in a transition? Does that mean the whole country's now taking puberty blockers and becoming a girl? No, different kind of transition. This is a transition to green energy and renewables. Joe Biden announced it today. It's a transition to handing China our energy grid. Oh, that's a transition. Some might call it a collapse of empire and a subsequent disaster where we're ruled by people who hate us. But no, it's a transition in which China gets to make and control the wind turbines, the lithium, the solar panels. Hmm. What do actual voters think about this? Who cares? Because that only matters in a democracy. But we'll tell you anyway. Americans do not want to hand our energy grid to China or stop using air conditioning in the summer or drive your stupid little electric cars. Right. Because it turns out no one believes the experts who have told us the world is going to end for the past 50 years, but who still buy beachfront property, paging you, Barack Obama. And most people kind of understand what's going to happen next. They could become Sri Lanka a country that destroyed itself, committed national suicide in pursuit of a high ESG score. Turns out actual people of both parties, just all normal people, want to do things like afford gasoline or have some place to live they can afford. What Joe Biden said today will get us much closer to Sri Lanka. There's kind of no dispute about that. We also know for certain that the spending under the Biden administration and their previous administrations, but certainly dramatically accelerated under Biden, has devalued the dollar to the point that we have massive inflation and a decline in GDP. Because as money loses value and things get more expensive, people at some point can't afford to buy as much and then gross domestic product declines. It's not like some crazy theory. In fact, even the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, hardly a right-wing institution, has pointed out that Joe Biden's spending in his first year in office single-handedly hiked the inflation rate by at least 3%. That's higher than many other developed countries, including Germany, Canada, and the UK. So what's been the effect for the rest of us? Now, they can say there's no recession, and the word is like firemen, you just don't say it. But what's America look like? Well, I don't know. Let's check your local food bank. Or a good chance your local food bank is overwhelmed. In Boise, Idaho, for example, the Meridian Food Bank reports they've gone from serving 2,800 people every month to 4,200 in just the last year. Another nearby food bank called the Carehouse Food Bank has reported a similar increase. A spokesman for the Carehouse told a local news station, quote, we're finding out that with the rising rent costs and the rising gasoline costs, the rent eats first, the gasoline eats second. So the family has very little to buy food to eat. Sound like a rich country to you? A place that's thriving, that can afford to turn its energy grid over to China? No. It's the same story across the country, Allentown, Pennsylvania. The Allentown Area Ecumenical Food Bank reports a massive increase in families who need food. In the biggest food-producing country in the world? Yeah, that's us. But still, the food bank's director told the local news station there, quote, since October, we've tripled the number of families we're serving every month. She had that 300 of the 1,800 families she served this month are first-time visitors. They haven't spent years at the food bank. They need to now because the economy is in, sorry to use the word, recession. 
Outside St. Mary's Food Bank in Phoenix, the AP reported that hundreds of families lined up this month. The line went around the block. The food bank's main distribution center served 4,271 families in just one week last month. That's a 78% increase compared to last year. According to the AP, quote, more than 900 families line up at the distribution center every weekday for an emergency government food box stuffed with goods such as canned beans, peanut butter, and rice. That's a bread line, by the way. That's a bread line in the United States. Did you see that on NBC Nightly News? Probably not. It was happening everywhere. Alameda Food Bank in California, similar numbers. They've gone from 890 households served on a typical Friday in January to more than 1,400 families on a typical Friday last month in Central Florida. The Second Harvest Food Bank, which supplies around 500 food bank partners in the region, says the number of people looking for food, not for vacations in Antigua or in New Tesla, but for food to eat so they can survive, has gone up 25% in the last month. The food bank used to distribute 150,000 meals overall a day. Now they're up to a quarter million, and that number is rising. The food bank's director says the cause is inflation. Obviously, quote, it costs quite a bit to put millions and millions of pounds of food out the door every week and every month. I told that to a local news station. So does the White House notice any of this? Do they know it's happening? Who knows what they know? They certainly don't care. They're saying it out loud. Joe Biden's top economic advisor, Brian Deese, is telling you that it doesn't matter. You're worried about inflation? <laughs> Well, it's easy for Americans to find food, says Brian Deese. Watch. The United States is in a stronger position to actually train our focus on tackling inflation um, than virtually any other country. For example, you know, with respect to uh, food, we're a net exporter of, of, of agricultural commodities, and obviously the, the high prices are hitting Americans very hard, but uh, that in, in a way that is different from some places that are facing famine, for example. Oh, lower your expectations, America. That sound you're hearing is the goalpost moving. So we went very quickly now from build back better to, hey, at least you're not starving to death. <laughs> at least we don't have a famine. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second, pal. This was America like a year and a half ago where the planes took off on time and people were getting killed every day on the subway and there wasn't filth and graffiti and drug addicts on the streets and people weren't worried about having enough to eat. Those were our first real expectations like, electricity in the summertime. Oh, but there's no famine. Just be glad there's no famine and do your part, they're telling us, to save us from the climate crisis, the one that somehow isn't affecting oceanfront property in Malibu and Martha's Vineyard, but not just the climate crisis, to save democracy in Ukraine. Way more important than inflation, your stupid economic concerns. Just the other day, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, the man they're telling us is the new George Washington, decided, you know what, I don't have to pretend to care about the United States anymore. I think Americans are ridiculous, decadent, overfed, and I have contempt for them. So he was asked, wait a second, can America afford to send $60 billion to your corrupt autocracy so you can shoot dramatic magazine photo covers for Vogue? Well, of course, said Zelensky, and we're quoting, inflation? Who's thinking about inflation? We're fighting for absolute communal values. What? Whose values? We're not in commun anything communal with you, pal. You run a corrupt little Eastern European country. We have a right to worry about our own country. And at the White House, they agree with Zelensky. That's almost word for word what our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, said when he was asked the exact same question on July 22nd. Americans are worried about sending all this money to Ukraine 
at a time when inflation is out of control and Americans don't have enough money, I don't know, to buy food or pay rent? So the moderator at the Aspen Institute, which needs a lot more immigrants from the third world immediately, as we told you the other night, asked this. And you know what Jake Sullivan said? Fundamentally, I don't care. Watch this. Do you worry about criticism that we're spending billions and millions of dollars to support Ukraine and not spending it here? It's my job to worry, so I worry about literally everything. I worry about my answer to this question. Um, so yes, I guess I worry, but in a way that's sort of not saying anything at all. Um, uh, this, I is mean, the, this is the being John Malkovich portion <laughs> of, the, of, our, of our session. But fundamentally, no. Congress passed a $40 billion package for Ukraine. Is the reservoir of support in this country as translated into the Congress and the executive branch deep and sustainable from the point of view of doing whatever it takes for, as the president has said, as long as it takes? Yes. So here you have Jake Sullivan and Jeff Goldberg, two midwits who have accomplished pretty much nothing in their entire lives, talking about the issues that will define this country for our grandchildren before an audience in Aspen and saying things like, ah, I'm not worried at all. And then the audience titters. And you wonder, and historians will review tapes like that when they try to figure out what actually happened to this thriving civilization we had. You wonder if these people can hear themselves. Do they know how they look? Do they know how ridiculous they are? Do they know how deeply the public despises them for good reason? Do you worry about criticism? We're sending billions of dollars to support Ukraine and not spending it here? Fundamentally, no. And Jake Sullivan isn't worried because he knows he can call inflation transitory when it's not. He can deny we're in a recession when we're obviously in one because the words are all that matter to them, not the reality. They don't walk through Midtown in Manhattan and notice, hey, this is disgusting. This is worth some buy. How did it get this way? They don't even notice. Tomorrow, we're going to have an hour-long investigation into the actual state of our economy, how we got here, how we get out. But tonight, we're going to go to one of the few economists who has credibility on this topic. E.J. Antoni is at the Heritage Foundation. He joins us tonight. E.J., thanks so much for coming on. So if the president comes out to address what everyone knows, which is we're in recession, and by technical definition, recession, and doesn't even acknowledge those numbers, you wonder, are they following this carefully? What is this exactly? No, Tucker, it's clear that they're not following this at all. The only thing I think they're following are the polls. For example, the president was quick to cite the unemployment rate, but not the fact that going by the household survey, unemployment has actually been declining, not increasing. As well, you see the number of people who have to take multiple jobs is also going up. Why is that happening? Probably because savings are dropping like a rock. We've seen private investment in businesses fall off a cliff this last quarter, dropping 13.5% on top of that credit card debt is increasing. Household debt is up over a trillion dollars compared to when Biden first took office. The middle class is getting absolutely crushed by his tax of inflation. You, you would think that if you were in the White House and you're trying to make sense of the economy, and it, to be fair, it's a huge country. It's a super complicated country. It's hard to know exactly what the economy is. But wouldn't you look for real world indicators like food bank use, and wouldn't you give preference to those indicators over fake numbers like GDP, unemployment, inflation? 
No, certainly that's a very good point, Tucker. But we also have literally mountains of data for months now that have been pointing to a recession. And the White House and, frankly, many of the commentators on TV have just blatantly ignored the data day after day yeah. after day. And again, the middle class, it is very evident that they have been getting absolutely crushed. You look at average incomes, for example. Average earnings since Biden took office are down the annual equivalent of $3,400 per person because of inflation. That is just devastating. That's more than some people spend on food in a year. That's just, un that's unbelievable. You, 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 wouldn't it be, and I'm asking you, I know you're an economist, I'm asking you a political question, but very quickly, wouldn't it be smarter for the White House to say, look, we know how bad it is and we're doing everything we can to help you? Why, why do they persist in telling us something we know isn't true? Well, Tucker, I think it speaks to the aloofness and how disconnected these people are from reality and from the yeah. everyday conditions that the average American family has to deal with. For example, these people don't worry about the price of food. They don't even cook their own food, right? They don't worry right. about the price of gasoline because they don't have to fill up their chauffeured vehicle that the taxpayers are paying for. They are completely disconnected from the average man. Yeah too disconnected, and it's making the country volatile, I would say. EJ, thanks so much for coming on tonight. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. So it turns out Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser is a racist, and we don't throw that word around lightly. We just assess the evidence. Bowser just called in the military to suppress undocumented migrants. We're not going to call them illegals on this show. And if that's not white supremacy, we're not sure what it is. We have details after the break. Okay, so back to the definition of news, and this is a great one from 1984, the passage of bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures. So if you look at uh, LA Times, all right, the, the New York Times, it's all about what the bureaucracies have decided, and this makes news, all right? So the passage of bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures. Now, bureaucracies and bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures are no more or less likely to be reflective of reality than your perceptions, right? So the verdict in the O.J. Simpson criminal trial, right? That was a bureaucratically recognized event through administrative procedures, but it was false, right? The jury found O.J. Simpson not guilty of murder when the evidence was overwhelming that he was guilty. So just because a jury decides something does not enhance or detract from reality, right? Sometimes juries are accurate, sometimes they're not. Right? The phrase innocent till proven guilty, that is a bureaucratic procedure. Right? That procedure is not usually useful for us to implement into our daily life because reality continually forces us to make decisions about whether someone is innocent or guilty, whether someone is likely to be good or bad for us. So the news keeps reminding us that tough times fall disproportionately upon the less intelligent. All right? that there are certain protected groups and the news plays up their suffering. And this is always attributed to a lack of government spending and a lack of government oversight and a lack of government censorship. All right. So polite discourse in the news does not allow us to point out that stupid people will usually have a more difficult time with reality. Reality shows us that different people have different gifts, but you can't say that on the news. So news is a consumer product like orange juice. 
You make money in the orange juice business and in the news business by providing a product that meets people's needs. I make money from this live stream to the extent that I meet your needs. And so I've had times on this live stream when I've made well over $1,000 in a month because I was meeting your needs. Most of the time when I do this live stream, I'm far more interested in meeting my needs to explore ideas, to talk about things that are interesting to me. All right, then meeting your needs. As a result, when I focus on meeting my needs rather than your needs, I don't succeed as a business. All right, so if I were to become focused on meeting your needs, I would have more viewers and more income. Just like if I was putting out orange juice and I thought the orange juice tasted great, but you thought it sucked, right? I wouldn't make any money. So Telling the truth is incidental to selling orange juice. It's also incidental to making money in news, and it's incidental to succeeding in bureaucracy. Right? Bureaucratic procedures are no more likely to arrive at the truth than your insights. Right? But bureaucratic procedures will get far more play in the news than the insights of ordinary people. Because for one thing, when a bureaucracy declares something, news merchants aren't going to get sued for reporting it straight. All right? On the other hand, they might get sued if they accurately relay your insights, your particular insights. So getting sued is not a good business model. Fox News has a business model. They appeal to conservatives over age 55. So basically the Fox News demographic is people 55 to death, right? They are not going to succeed if they point out frequently things that Republicans are doing wrong if they point out where Joe Biden is doing good things, if they point out where Democrats are right and Republicans are wrong, right? That's a losing business proposition for Fox News, just like MSNBC is not going to prosper as a business if they point out where the Republicans are right and the Democrats are wrong. And MSNBC is not going to thrive by denouncing Democrats and denouncing the left and denouncing Black Lives Matter. So, a major reason that the news is boring compared to a charismatic live streamer or a charismatic talk show host or a great writer is that news depends upon the chronicling of bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures. That's not particularly exciting. But what is exciting is Tucker Carlson. City mayor's Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. has made life for her own residents much, much worse over the past couple of years. But at the same time, she's shown great concern for illegal aliens coming here. She declared Washington, D.C. a sanctuary city. She said the city would pay to fight the federal government's efforts to deport people. She said the city would give illegal aliens free housing, health care, education. Well... Why wouldn't people from around the world take Muriel Bowser up on her offer? Well, they have, and they've moved there in huge numbers. That's a win for diversity, right? No. Turns out Muriel Bowser is, and we don't use this phrase lightly, a white supremacist, maybe even a white nationalist. She's claiming this new diversity in Washington, D.C. is a humanitarian crisis, and she's such a racist, she wants the army to come. Watch. I've asked um, for the deployment of the Guard, as long as we need the Guard to deal with a humanitarian crisis, that we expect to escalate. The number of people crossing the border seeking asylum, we expect to only go up. Uh, and we need to make sure that there is a national response. Chip Roy is a congressman from Texas. 
who's been to the border numerous times. We're happy to talk to him tonight. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. So we're obviously making fun of Muriel Bowser, who's one of the most incompetent people ever to hold public office in this country. On the other hand, she is calling out the National Guard to deal with illegal aliens. Why aren't the governors of real states doing that, actually, now that I think about it? Well, you know, Tucker, it's interesting hearing the mayor of Washington, D.C., which is where I'm sitting right now, complaining about 4,000 people on 200 buses that Governor Abbott has sent to Washington, D.C. since April, running to the Pentagon saying, oh, my gosh, we need the National Guard. Oh, well, you know what? Cry me a frickin' river, right? You know, welcome to yeah. the party, pal. And down in Texas, today in the border, we're going to have about 7,000 people crossing the border across the entire southwest border and about half of that in Texas. Cry me a river about the, I don't know, 50 bodies in a mobile morgue in Brooks County, Texas, where Sheriff Benny Martinez is having to deal with dead migrants all over the ranches. Talk to the families that are, you know, concerned about the people packing pistols, like this guy, this illegal immigrant on a ranch that I just got this picture about an hour Okay, this is just uh, traditional Republican talking points. If anything interesting comes up on the show, we'll go back to it. But let's go back to what is the news and how does the news differ from reality, right? So the news is dominated by official sources, right? Reality is frequently unofficial. Reality is usually unofficial. But reality is always more true than the pronouncements of bureaucracy. So what helps you better with navigating a new job? Is it the official employee handbook or the gossip that you get from your coworkers? Now, understanding the news is different from reality doesn't mean that at times the news can't be one tool to get more clarity on reality. So, for example, when the news tells you that the high temperature today was 78 degrees in Los Angeles, all right, that's likely to be true. If the news tells you the, the price of gas in Malibu, that's likely true. If the news tells you who, who won the Cowboys game, that's likely true. If the, the news tells you how the, the Dow Jones finished up today, so that's likely to be true. The The Dow Jones, I think, was, was up a bit, can't, can't quite tell. All right, so you have to understand everything in its context, all right? Understood properly, reading the news can enhance your understanding of reality. But if you just consume the news without thinking critically, if you just take in the news through any orifice, right? If you just take in information from any source, right, it's going to diminish your understanding of reality and put you at increased risk of, of monkeypox. So for every individual, every institution, every piece of writing, Right, every bit of information that you receive, it needs to be understood in its context. Right, who benefits? Right, who wrote this? Who made this? For whom was it written? What's the primary audience? What's the ideology of the writer or the institution? What's his agenda? What are the incentives that the writer or the institution faces? What is their bureaucratic or, or life experience? Where do they get their money? Okay, what's the social circle for the, for the writer? From whom does he most want love and respect? So turn this on me, all right? I make this show and my primary care and my primary concern is not what you want. My primary care and concern is what I want. Okay, this is not a flourishing business, right? This is not a, a uh, you know high rating show because I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you what I want to say. And that is not a model for a successful live stream or a successful punditry, right? Or for a successful news or opinion business. So I do this show because I enjoy it. If you make it unpleasant, I would do fewer shows. I will 
change how I do the show. So I'm here because I enjoy talking to you and listening to you talk to me, and that's fun, right? I, I enjoy money, but money isn't the primary reason I, I do the show. Now, from whom do I most want love and respect? Generally speaking, it's Orthodox Jews who are in my life and in my community. That's the group that's most important to me, right? I'm not going to say and do things on this show that are going to damage the relationships that are most important to me. So I'm willing to give up some freedom of speech, some freedom of expression, right? There are places I'm not going to go on this show because I want to preserve those relationships that are most important to me. So understood critically, right, the news can be useful. So let's look at the LA Times. All right, story number one, LA County won't impose new mask mandate as coronavirus's decline. All right, this is a pronouncement from a bureaucracy, right? LA County, in particular, its health department. Uh, on the right side of the page, we got Nicholas Goldberg. Do we get our lives back now? Are we heading back down into the COVID hole? Well, what determines whether or not we're heading back down into the COVID hole are the pronouncements from bureaucracies. Then the LA Times has an editorial. Congress failed the nation on family policy. Will California show the way? All right, this is an editorial about what's going on with the bureaucracies in Congress and in California politics. Op-ed, the Federal American Data Privacy and Protection Act protects everybody's data. All right, again, talking about what's going on with bureaucracies. Editorial, close the 6th Street Bridge to Cars in Los Angeles. So this is calling on Los Angeles City to close the 6th Street Bridge to Cars, to calling on a bureaucracy to take action. All right, column. Merrick Garland doesn't lie. The Justice Department is aiming at Trump. All right, this is about the procedures of a bureaucracy, the Justice Department. Amid water restrictions, LA residents can get free recycled water for lawn, lawns. All right, this is essentially a press release from the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. California officially shrinks Delta water diversion plan from two tunnels to one. Again, this is playing off what is being decided by California government bureaucracy. California drought official quits, blasting Newsom for gut-wrenching inaction. All right, this was the head of a bureaucracy who has now left. San Francisco officials declare state of emergency as monkeypox spread. All right, so San Francisco health officials, a bureaucracy, make a pronouncement. All right, this is what constitutes the news. And this may bear absolutely, you know, very little resemblance to reality. In fact, the news is very likely to distort your understanding of reality, just as if primary primary source or your girlfriend or your religious community or your workplace, right? from your ability to ascertain reality. Here's why the U.S. economy shrinking in the second quarter may not be so bad. All right. So Tucker already dealt with that. All right. New York Times. After Clash, Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer rushed to reset climate and tax deal. Right, this is talking about uh, what's going on in, in government in the United States Senate. Democrats' plan to fight inflation may lower costs over time. All right, Obviously, the New York Times is a left-wing institution, and it increasingly gets its income from subscribers who are overwhelmingly on the left rather than advertisers. So the New York Times, like other news media, no longer is primarily broadcasting to the largest audience possible where you're incentivized to play down your opinions. Now that you have a primarily subscription-based economic agenda, 
you're strongly incentivized to meet the needs of those people who are paying to subscribe to your publication, and they tend to be overwhelmingly on the left. So the New York Times has shifted dramatically to the left over the past 10 years. The New York Times was always left-wing, but now the switch to the left is much more dramatic because we've moved into a subscription economy. Okay, audible problems, 40. So how, how are we doing now? Looks, looks, uh, computer. Man, audio muffling again. Gaps of inaudibility. Well, that sucks. So let's see what we can do about that here. You, you have a, I want to just make this clear, where well, differentiated you from all of it. And I mean, it still does, because you are recording still, to my knowledge, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. these sorts of people is... You know, the, the TRS crew, we're talking about Mike, uh, Jesse, Joseph Jordan, Eric Stryker. These are people that primarily are leeches. They prey off of vulnerable people that honestly are often confused in life and they take their money and they don't actually do anything productive in, in their own lives. They, they're not working any jobs. They are people that literally get paid to just blow air into a mic, you know, like three times a week or so. And you're right. not like that. Like you're one of the... You're one of, you were one of the people on the show where, like, you were a tradesman. I mean, you still are. Uh, okay, this is an interview with uh, Johnny Monoxide. You, like, you actually provide for a family or for, I believe you have children. I could be wrong, but it's like you actually provide for people. You have responsibilities. You know, if you don't work, certain people aren't going to have food on the table. And, like, that's, you know, that's being a man, you know? <laughs> right like oh, on actually. a level that like people a lot of these people just um especially these younger people that are into trs now these like 18 year olds who don't know any better they, they don't understand this they, they think being a man is going on twitter and calling people niggers like like this is supposed to be so like uh revolutionary you know right getting getting on twitter and doing end towers is the most important thing there is with know? female av anime avatars of course yeah <clears throat> yeah you have, to, you have to have the anime avatar um, yeah, no, I was, okay, so I got involved with them, like, as, quote, friends on Facebook first, and then I would started doing appearances on the show. I did a couple of, back when they were still having guests on the show, like, when, yeah. they, would, when they would still do. It was, like, often, like, an open panel, and there were just a yeah, ton was, of people. That, that was the whole deal, is, like, they had their inner circle Facebook group, where guys were, like, the bullpen. It was, like, the bullpen. You were, like, uh, Mike and Jesse and either, you know, it was, like, Bulbasaur or Ghoul or somebody else was the third Mike. Okay, let's get a little bit more Tucker Carlson here. So it turns out the migration crisis works in both directions under Joe Biden. So many people from Mexico are coming to the United States, but it turns out many Americans are fleeing a collapsing economy and running to Mexico. Probably the saddest marker we can imagine. According to the LA Times, a lot of people in Mexico City are very upset by this. As one LA Times reporter put it, Mexico City is being flooded by Americans. They're transforming classic neighborhoods, the housing market, even racial dynamics. More and more, locals are asking them to please go home. Well, this sounds racist. Didn't Joe Biden tell us repeatedly that the people who live in a country have no claim on that country? And the last thing you want is an ethno state. Why aren't Mexicans grateful to get a little bit of diversity? And by the way, why is someone who was born in Mexico any more Mexican than someone who arrived yesterday by the left's own definition? This sounds like bigotry to us. In fact, the height of bigotry. If anything, Mexicans should be thankful for all the cultural enrichment Americans are bringing them, particularly in the area of cuisine. It's time to learn to love the cheeseburger. 
But at the same time, Mexican citizens should not be allowed to open cheeseburger restaurants because that would be cultural appropriation and be particularly careful about national garbs. So if you're in college in Mexico and a student and you somehow put on a Tommy Bahama shirt, you should be expelled for that because that's our serape and you have no right to steal someone else's national costume. So why don't the rules work in both directions? That's the question for Chadwick Moore. He's the editor-in-chief of Outspoken. He joins us tonight. Chadwick Moore, I can hardly believe that anyone in Mexico was complaining about too many Anglos. Why is that okay? <laughs> well, you know, call me a racist, uh, but I got to say, I'm on the side of the Mexicans here. They are being colonized by white liberals from California. <laughs> And you know, to our answer. friends in Mexico, <laughs> to our friends in Mexico, you know, you know what? We are dealing with the same problem here. Talk to anyone in Texas and in Florida, and these plagues of California locusts are also descending on their lands. They're changing the culture. They are, you know, taking over. They speak differently. Uh, and um, you know, if you think also to Mexico, to anyone who's listening, if you think that the cat cafe down the street that your new white colonizers have opened is bad. Wait until they start voting. You're going to have a transgender health secretary in no time. You have a non-binary <laughs> nuclear fuel waste commandant. What this all comes out to, though, of course, is what we've known for all along. What would fix this problem, and that is naturally the wall around California. Yeah. And if we could just isolate them in California, if they have to deal with the policies that they have been elected, the, that they have enforced, uh, you know, it, it would uh, change but a lot of things. We could turn it into our own national... Okay, this is just a low IQ discussion. Let's uh, get back to understanding how the news works. Okay, Democrats race to adopt climate health deal. All right, so you've got uh, bureaucracies, you've got a political party. All right, is a bureaucracy. The United States Senate, you know, has has bureaucracies. Right, Ukraine could be turning the tide of war again as Russian advances stall. Well, how do we know? Well, Western officials who are with bureaucracies, right? These are not Western officials who are of their own, right? These are Western officials and Western analysts who are sanctified and blessed by bu by being part of bureaucracies. So it's like if you're not a priest in the Catholic Church, there are all sorts of things that you can't do, right? You have to be sanctified by the bureaucracy. So too in the news media. Now, the Western officials and the Western analysts here who are sanctified by the by virtue of being part of a bureaucracy who get quoted in the Washington Post, they're not necessarily any more uh, true to life, realistic, profound, or insightful than all sorts of officials and analysts who are, well, you have to be in a bureaucracy, I guess, to be an official. But there are all sorts of blokes, right, who are not associated with bureaucracies who may very well have superior perspectives and insights and information about what's going on in Ukraine. But because they are not sanctified by being part of a bureaucracy, they are not given much attention by the news media. The news media, for example, lose bloggers because bloggers aren't part of a bureaucracy. There's not a system to sanctify them. All right, dry January fake cocktails, a new temperance movement has arrived. All right, many Americans are reconsidering their relationship to alcohol. So is this based on going out there and talking to individuals? No, this is based on some bureaucracies are telling the reporter this. Why the U.S. economy shrank for two quarters in a row, right? Again, 
product of bureaucracies. Let's have a look. New York Times. Right, U.S. economy decline. Biden and Xi conduct marathon core during rising tensions. Well, the reporters talk to the bureaucracies and report what the bureaucrats tell them. 2016 campaign looms large as Justice Department. All right, bureaucracy pursues January 6th inquiry. All right, so the Justice Department inquiry into what happened in 2016 or 2018 or 2020 is not necessarily any more likely to be accurate than what you know, some bloke who's not associated with any bureaucracy understands. But because it's the bureaucracy that's doing it, it makes the news. Eight dead as flash flooding swamps parts of Kentucky. Right. How do we know there are eight dead in Kentucky from these flash floods? Because a bureaucracy has pronounced that. Now, there may be, well be five dead or 11 dead or 15 dead, but the news is going to wait until a bureaucracy has decreed something right recession fears loom as u.s economy contracts again obviously dealing with the commerce department inventory swing a culprit behind u.s recession talk how do we know that inventory swung because a bureaucracy told us are we in a recession now it's a conversation between members and representatives of bureaucracy Recession worries put Biden administration on defensive and it will be all experts from various uh, bureaucracies. So that's what the news is all about. A great summary here. It is the passage of bureaucratically recognized events through administrative procedures. It may bear almost no resemblance to reality. You may very well see that we're in a recession months before six months before the news media admits that we're in a recession, you may very well know that all sorts of proclamations such as innocent until proven guilty are simply not in accord with reality. We, we live where we have to constantly make decisions about people and we, 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 don't, we cannot afford the, the luxury of these you know, bureaucratic pronouncements. So... I want to see what uh, Tucker has to say here about monkeypox. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. So all of a sudden, public health authorities are demanding a new name for monkeypox because monkeypox is racist or something. Come on, we like monkeypox. It's a great name. Can't make the party tonight. I've got monkeypox. How cool is that? But if they're going to change the name, the public deserves a say. Obviously, it's called democracy, and that's why we've asked you for a new name for monkeypox. Okay, this is moronic. I'm going to pass on that. But, you know, who's not mur moronic? It is the World Health Organization. Here is a bureaucracy, guys, that you can trust. The best way to do that is to reduce the risk of exposure. That means making safe choices for yourself and others. For men who have sex with men, this includes, for the moment, reducing your number of sexual partners, reconsidering sex with new partners, and exchanging contact details with any new partners to enable follow-up if needed. Okay, there's always opportunities to make fun of the World Health Organization. They're doing something right here, right? Good on them there. They're speaking the truth. Right, what's going on in uh, Greece? So this isn't Afghanistan, this isn't Iraq. and Afghanistan. Right, this is Greece, this was Greece. Hit uh, Syrian and Arab. 
Uh, and so there's a Syrians and Arab immigrants pouring into Greece. It's a private property. You guys are violating your private property. Respect Greece. This is Greece. It's not Middle East. Get the fuck out. We are, we are not having war. We are the victims. We are not them. They're getting enriched. Before, I want to go to work. I can. My children want to go to school. They can't. We have to live our life. They took it for us. We're not in war. They are. They have to take them from here. Okay, let's look at some uh, good news here. All right, here's Douchey's Guide to a Dory Alley Without Fear of Monkeypox. Dora is here, but so is Monkeypox. Here are some ideas to reduce your risk and still enjoy your favorite kink and fetish festival in San Francisco. We're gearing up for an exciting return of our favorite street festival in San Francisco, Up Your Alley, where you'll get your fill of hot, hairy daddies, hungry pigs, BDSM babes, and kinks of all kinds. Douchey's got some hot tips for a fun and filthy weekend free of anxiety. Keep in mind that there are a lot of ways to reduce risk. You may choose to use one or two of these suggestions or none at all. And quick reminder to remember COVID-19 precautions and to get vaccinated for meningitis if you haven't already. Right, so have a happy and healthy Dory Alley and get into these gay piss orgies, guys. Don't skip the piggy parties. We've heard from people who are worried about attending events out of fear of contracting monkeypox. We hope you partake while also taking steps to reduce your risk. Right, You can participate in a piss-gay orgy reasonably and responsibly. It's been a long few years without community events because of COVID. Community events meaning gay piss orgies. We think it's time to get back out there safely and get in there safely and feel comfortable doing so. Be aware but not overly afraid. Monkeypox is transmitted from person to person during skin-to-skin contact with a person who has a rash, like during sex, or contact with bodily fluids, like when kissing or when engaging in water sports. Yes, if, <laughs> if you're out on the lake skiing, water skiing, all right, even though it's technically possible to transmit monkeypox on surfaces, it's less likely, all right? Play dress up. There's never been a better time to dress from top to bottom in latex or leather. Keeping your skin covered is a surefire way to prevent exposures to monkeypox. Take a friend to the dungeon. Going to sex parties with people you know and planning on who you'll hook up with can be one way to reduce your risk if you're able to have open and honest conversations about monkeypox. Talk to the people you'll play with ahead of time about monkeypox, but also things like HIV, PrEP, and sexual health testing. I don't know about you, but this sounds like a really hot conversation. Move to less crowded areas. Consider skipping the dark back rooms at parties. If they're super crowded, there's no way to control who you're bumping up against and rubbing skin to skin with. Yeah, (laughs) talking about TRS pool parties. Enjoy the show. Check out bondage demonstrations and other public performances. Let it serve as an inspiration for your play with your regular sex partners. Guys, I want you to know it is okay to be picky with your sex partners. Right? Pay attention to how you're making choices about who you hook up with. And become aware of situations that make you feel uncomfortable or beyond any limits you set for yourself. Right? Think about safety and consent, guys. Condoms can reduce risk of monkeypox. Right? Great way to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. Slow your roll. Right? We all know here how tempting it is to plunge headfirst into your X-rated weekend. But to reduce your risk, 
Consider unpacking your weekend. Cover up your own bumps. See a bump on your skin? Are you worried it might be monkeypox? If you're not sure and you still want to go out tonight, cover it up with a Band-Aid or clothing before you go out. If you feel like it is monkeypox, it makes sense to stay home. Right, try to get vaccinated. Right, please. So if you're going to participate in some you know, piss orgy, try to do so reasonably and responsibly. Right, there's a new Netflix documentary series out, The Most Hated Man on the Internet. And... Uh, so, what three-part series about uh, a guy who posted a, a lot of uh, photos of, of naked women, naked guys, and uh, then connected them with their real-life social media profiles. So the website was no called. No mother wants to see. Is anyone photo up? on the internet? Anyoneup.com. Remember that. A photo taken in private, posted for everyone to see when it happened to us it changed our lives for wait a photo taken in private so if you retain that photo right it, uh, i mean how private is it all right if you're taking photos all right you've immediately stepped away from some degree of, of privacy right just just taking a photo of your genitals uh, not so private. So maybe don't take photos of your genitals. I mean, I don't want to sound all bigoted and traditional and old-fashioned, but uh, perhaps slow your roll. Right? Good way to cut down on the monkeypox. Meet the parents. Cat? I, I, I had no idea you could milk a cat. Oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. Probably I have didn't nipples, know Greg. Could you milk me? That movie's not that old. It's like 20 years ago. The idea of breastfeeding men was a joke, a cringy joke. But, of course, nothing is a joke anymore. There are no parodies left. They're dead serious. The journalist Colin Wright has just obtained new guidance from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. And that guidance declared that nurses should never use the term breast milk. That's offensive. Instead, they should use terms like parent's milk or, prepare yourself, father's milk. And there are other forbidden terms as well. Instead of saying breastfeeding mother, you're supposed to say lactating person because that's not repulsive or demeaning or anything. None of this is dehumanizing. Denying the realities of biology is not only insane, but when healthcare professionals do it, it hurts people. Now, Britain just closed its Tavistock Gender Clinic for children because it turns out that chemically castrating kids, sterilizing them, physically castrating them in some cases, doesn't actually help them. Will we pay attention to this? And why is this still happening in our country? It's the most barbaric thing any country could ever do to its children. As of now, the Biden administration is still funding the sterilization and castration of children. Colorado lawmaker Lauren Boebert recently elicited this testimony from Joe Biden's HHS director, Javier Becerra. So for the record, you favor HHS's funding being able for, to, for sex reassignment for surgeries on minors. I will do everything I can to defend any American, including children, whether or not they fit the categories you have mentioned or not. And if they talk about gender-affirming care, I am there to protect the rights of any American. 
So you'd think that everybody running for any office at all as a Republican would be using that tape in a campaign ad because sterilizing children is grotesque. It's a crime, and it's happening on a widespread basis thanks to the lunatics now in charge. But almost nobody's saying a word about it. Robin Lundstrom is saying something about it. Robin Lundstrom is an Arkansas state representative. She proposed legislation to end the castration and sterilization of children in Arkansas. And yet somehow the Republican governor, Asa Hutchinson, vetoed it, and then the legislature overrode that veto. Long story, shocking story, and we're happy to welcome Robin Lundstrom to the show tonight. Okay, I just find politicians boring, so sorry, sorry, uh, sorry Robin. No, nothing personal, but uh, once the show gets to interviewing politicians, all right? Like, not really my thing. So, yeah, the most hated man on the internet, remember... That uh, website about being up all night. Is anyone up all night? Ever. It's a new Netflix uh, documentary series here on uh, the most it's hated man revenge on the internet. Is anyone up? Is anyone up? Is anyone up? Everyone was talking about it. Everyone was posting about it. <gasps> a site that's fueled by sexting pictures and Facebook information. The most shocking, the most graphic, the most horrible. Oh. You love it. And okay, you know how you can avoid getting monkeypox? Don't participate in a gay orgy. You know how you can avoid getting humiliated on the internet, on revenge porn websites right don't pose don't take naked photos of your genitals right don't take photos of yourself like that and and don't share them don't make them don't keep them right don't be a whore right? don't be a slut don't be a filthy pig and you'll reduce your chances of being victimized by revenge porn right this series treats uh, or, or seems primarily women as as just helpless victims as though there's absolutely nothing that they did that uh, predisposed them to negative outcomes but just like going to a gay orgy dramatically increases your chances of getting monkeypox right so to so does uh, taking photos of your genitals or taking video of yourself having sex all right you're ruining your own life don't be a whore don't be a pig and once you're on it, it's a different story. You had the power to ruin someone's life with just one click. I've thought No! You don't have the power to ruin someone's life with just one click. Right? People gave up their power. People humiliated themselves. People were idiots. Right? And they destroyed their own lives. Right? By taking no naked photos of themselves. Right? It's not like these these uh, revenge porn victims are just uh, innocent victims. They're idiots who behaved in self-destructive ways, and they're getting a comeuppance. So don't be a whore. Felt completely violated, in shock. There were. Okay, she takes naked photos of herself, but she feels completely violated. Right? You violated yourself. You destroyed your own dignity. This is on you. Comments and comments of people just mocking me. Don't be a whore and you won't have to go through this. She's a whore. She's a slut. And I wasn't. Don't be a whore. Don't be a slut. Don't be a pig. Don't participate in orgies. Don't hook up with randos. And you reduce your chances of being this kind of victim. Don't be a whore. Worthy of being around my children. All my links to social media, my phone number. There is no hiding my internet. You are fully on display. That site was about destroying. You're fully on display because you put yourself on display. 
Right? Some, some of these girls who are complaining about revenge porn are actresses who would have been happy to absolutely humiliate themselves in some sexually explicit HBO production, but because it appears on a, a website that they didn't sign up for. Look, I, I think the guys who do this revenge porn are hideous, just horrible people. And I think the women who leave themselves wide open for, for revenge porn have made horrible, stupid, idiotic, dumb and yes, immoral antisocial choices. Destroying lives. We would create a. Yeah. People who commit revenge porn are destroying lives of people who've already destroyed their own lives. Website like this. If you like the drama, I mean, it's going to get a lot worse. This guy is. So the worst thing about being an under owner or a sex addict or an alcoholic or a, a meth freak or a debtor is that you will primarily associate with fellow dysfunctional people, right? So Hunter Moore, right? He puts up this, you know, website, is anyone up all night filled with revenge porn? But this doesn't emerge out of nowhere. And the type of people who show up on his website are not Meryl Streep, right? They're not, uh, you know, august academics, right? A very broken, dysfunctional person is making content created by other dysfunctional broken people it's not like there's just one bad guy here and a bunch of innocent victims there are a lot of idiots here is the internet's most hated man hunter moore hunter moore hunter moore hunter moore he thought of himself as the king of revenge porn he didn't give a fuck if you hated him or not but so you have no empathy no he was out guess what empathy can be tiring most people don't have that much empathy to give away. If you want to be an idiot, right, there's no end of people who will take advantage of you. Come on, man. Of control. This is Hunter Moore from anyoneup.com. Fucking all your girlfriends. He had thousands of followers willing to do his bidding. I had to stop him, but I didn't know what they were capable of. If he feels threatened by somebody, he won't let it go. I never thought it was going to come to this. I never thought it would go this far. So I've only watched like 20 minutes of this documentary and uh, I wasn't able to go any further. It just seems so stupid because none of the emphasis is on individual responsibility. Okay. ABC Los Angeles, a good, a strip clubs, good predictors of recession. Okay, stop, stop, stop with the, the music. Okay. Come on. Come on, stop, stop with the, the music. So they're just playing a bunch of music here. But yeah, strip clubs can be a pretty good... Uh... Man, they're just playing music here. Yeah, strip clubs are often a good predictor of recession. I win. I always win. That's what happens. You're not going to stop me. This mother was... Guess what? Nobody always wins, right? Anyone who thinks that they always win is a fool who is headed for comeuppance. It's going to prove him wrong. Yep. Most hated man on the internet. Oh, come on. I'm trying to, trying to run a very, very respectable show here don't play music in january 2012 i was living in the suburbs of los angeles with my husband charles california lawyer and my daughter kayla 
who Stop was the music. 24 years old at the time. And she wanted to be an actress. It was a very happy life. I was extremely fulfilled. <laughs> Stop with that music. I'm, I'm a very respectable man. Pe people look up to me. Come on. A lot of times my stepdad came into the picture when I was maybe seven. He's fun. He's a great guy. And he's British. Even better. <laughs> no, no, stop that. Kayla stop wanted to that. be an actress and have been in college. This quarter, there's classes. a chance we could have another. And then she had a side job as a waitress, trying to save and up money. And we just didn't see any of it happen. Yeah. So strip clubs prior are to good the predictor. pandemic. We were incredibly busy, so busy we had to be hiring on a regular basis just to fill our bookings with our strippers. Then this year, starting January, we were very excited to post-pandemic. We were hoping that people were going to be ready to spend their money. Our girls were excited. Our guys were excited. And moving into spring and summer, that's supposed to be our busy season. Bachelor parties, bachelorette parties. People want to throw these events. And we just didn't see any of it happen. Stop with the music. Right, yeah, so a bunch of strippers. I, I noticed this on Twitter, I think, in February that uh, said, hey, we're in recession. In 22, we had negative productivity. This quarter, there's a chance we could have another negative uh, quarter of productivity. And that would, by de definition, right, be a, a recession. And the uh, economic world, most economists are kind of split here. Stop with the music. I'm trying to run a very respectable show. And Laponia says they can't hear me. Yeah. Well, guess what? They can hear me now. You don't know the reach of this show, bro. Stop with the music. Bloody hell. Here I am trying to run a respectable, upstanding show. So she can move out. Oh, great. So now they stop with the music. Uh, which can be expected, right? We have rising costs. So if everything that we absolutely need to live, like housing or food, goes up in price, well, we have less money uh, to spend on discretionary items, such as entertainment or, or going on your next vacation. Not even two days ago, this guy right here was sitting here <laughs> preaching to me about how we were going to yeah. hit a recession. Uh, we're driving around in the car and yeah. going to the grocery, looking for a parking spot, and he's like, "We're gonna, yeah. it's gonna, we're gonna have a recession." I've been seeing these um, and seeing it happen, and I did. I called it out and said that I do believe a recession will hit in the next one to two years. Two years being a little bit longer. I would say within the next year. If it, it I would be surprised. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for playing. I appreciate it. All quiet. You know, we live like millions of other people. To and fro, to and fro. Stop with the music. Do nothing in L.A. without your motor car. And that was the kind of life we led. Let your love flow. That's a good song. I life just bought that on iTunes. Until one day I'm at home and I get a call from Kayla. I was at work. I was... And she hadn't done anything. There was a phone right. call. She's an aspiring actress. And it was the hostess that wasn't working that night. She says, hey, I'm really sorry, but you're on this website. And she hadn't she done said, anything. It's called isanyoneup.com. It was basically a website um, 
of nude photos. She's just a victim. I was racking my brain like, what? What photos could they have? How could I be on this website? How? I don't understand. Why? I don't understand. Like when it comes to personal responsibility, some people just don't want to understand. She says, look it up. You're on page two. And there I was, right there, topless. Oh, nude, wow. And how did that um, happen? Multiple photos and my heart dropped. And, and how did this happen, right? 24-year-old aspiring actress. It was embarrassing. Who took these new to photos? The pictures. Oh, she didn't intend to so show anyone. I decided to call my mom. Yeah. Because she's the one that I go to. Hey, mommy. Right away. She was in tears. All right, so long story short, she took those photos that ended up on the internet. So don't take photos. I remember I was exchanging some sexy messages with a young woman that I'd been set up with in, I think, 1999. And I think she, she wanted a photo of my cock. So I just Googled, you know, cock and, and you know, took, took some rando's picture and, and sent that to her. Oh, man. Come on, man. All right, we'll play. We'll give Tucker Carlson one more chance not to be stupid. For decades, Americans used to make fun of Canada for being boring. Oh, it's all Molson and sled dogs, the great white waste of time. All right, well, things got pretty exciting in Canada when it descended into authoritarianism. The leader of Canada, effectively a dictator now, banned handguns. He also outlawed freedom of speech. Earlier this year, Justin Trudeau's government arrested a woman called Tamara Letch. Her crime was organizing a protest against vaccine mandates, not hurting anybody, speaking her views. Here she was in February. It's not an illegal protest. It's in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And so what's your response then if you do get arrested, if you're the next person that police do arrest? I'd love it if you'd speak louder. <laughs> she wants to know what my response would be if I get arrested. What's the response? Hold the line. So for complaining about Justin Trudeau's complete mismanagement of his once great country, she was jailed for 18 days. Then when she was released on bail, Justin Trudeau had her jailed again. Why? What was the crime? Well, she appeared in a photograph with someone Justin Trudeau doesn't like. Thankfully, there is at least one check or balance left in Canada. Wednesday, a judge ordered her release from jail. Keith Wilson is her attorney. He joins us now. Mr. Wilson, thanks so much for coming on. So are we overstating or oversimplifying what happened to your client? Did she commit some violent crime that we're not aware of? No, she committed the most minor crime that we have in our criminal code, Tucker, and it's called the, the crime of mischief. It's the same crime that the police, if they find teenagers misbehaving in a park, they'll threaten them with to get them to go home and back to the basement. It's remarkable what's happened here. Uh, as you know well, our prime minister has expressed admiration for two different government systems in the world. One is communist China, and the other is uh, uh, his dear friend, or perhaps more, uh, the Castro's Cuba. And uh, we're no longer the true nor strong and free. No longer a free country. And I say that with great sadness as a, as a genuine admirer of Canada. So I wonder, is anyone noticing? I mean, if your prime minister jails a woman and tries to keep her there without bail because she complained about him, that seems like a human rights violation of the most serious magnitude. Has anyone said anything about this? 
Well, it's more than a human rights violation, as you can appreciate. And what Americans need to understand is this is a deliberate attempt by the Trudeau government to intimidate Canadians. Look what Tamara did. She inspired not only Canadians, thousands of truckers to drive to Ottawa to stand for their rights and stand against the authoritarian overreach from these COVID policies. But she also inspired protests around the world. And the Prime Minister, I think, wants to send a message to Canadians that if you dare challenge me and challenge my view of what living under my reign should look like, you will suffer consequences. She's a 49-year-old grandmother and mother, no criminal record. She spent 49 days in jail under ridiculous and troubling circumstances. Last question briefly. Has the United States government, has our State Department lodged a protest against this horrifying abuse? They haven't, but what's happening, which is really important, is even people who are kind of middle of the road or, or bought the COVID mandate line are starting to question whether our fundamental institutions up here are becoming corrupt. You know, that to, to see this happen, to see a, a nonviolent citizen with no criminal record spend this time of jail, be rounded up by homicide detectives, uh, paraded in chains and shackles, flown through airports uh, across our country to go to be put in a jail cell in Ottawa has really shaken a lot of people's uh, sensibilities about how badly off track things are up in Canada. Good. Well, I hope it awakens them. I really do. Keith Wilson, thank you for all the work you're doing on her behalf and on your country's behalf. Appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, that's what a beautiful 49-year-old grandmother. I mean, I'm impressed. I mean... Not that I, I, I pay attention to, to such, such matters. I got the monkey. But they are changing the name because racism or something. Well, for once, we don't know who they are. We're not going to allow it. We're going to change the name this time. We're going to do it with the public's help because democracy is real. So we had a vote. There was no ballot harvesting. You can trust our counting. And the new name for monkeypox is now officially, and we're declaring it, Schlong COVID. That won our audience election with about 40% of the vote. So let Long Michelle Walensky, the CBC know, trending her number Twitter. is 1-800-232-4636. Wait for the prompt on monkeypox and make your voice heard because it's still a democracy. Now, we've taken shots. Okay, schlong COVID. Yeah, it's, uh, whoa, I want to see what this is about. Sorry about that. But uh, we'll go to TRS Expose in uh, just a minute but now we've taken shots at eric swallow over the years and to be fair we want him to come on and respond he will never come on he's too busy what's he doing we don't know but we just got this picture in we think it's actually eric swallow we don't know who he's talking to fang fang we don't know but he's clearly busy so maybe that's why he's not accepting our offers to come on but if he can break away and spend the time he's always welcome on this show we hope you have the best okay thanks thanks tucker Thanks for keeping it classy. All right, TRS exposed. Alex, and then uh, the fourth mic would be like somebody like Lawrence Murray or um, Raiden or myself or Hateful Heretic or somebody, right? They'd pull in. Right. And so you wanted to be, you know, if you were if you were on the outside of the inner circle, you wanted to be in the inner circle so you could get onto the show, you know, and so you could get, so you could get your two, three minutes of laughs or whatever it was that you were getting. Sure. It, was, it was very, it was, it was an exhilarating thing to be doing radio with these guys, you know? Because like you've been listening to them as a podcast and you're like, quote, friends with them on Facebook, you know, so you knew these guys, your digital friend simulator was a little more realistic because you had more, uh, more in-depth experience because you were having actual conversations with these guys, you know, yeah. while, while Jesse was working at the paint store or Mike was doing his little shit coding job in Manhattan. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, 
so I want to just emphasize real quickly here for the audience listening. Um, we are actually going to be doing a summarization, sort of a, tom- a timeline, if you will, of the history of TRS, how it sort of started, how it evolved, and where it is now, and where it's probably going. So again, just, just so everybody understands, TRS originally started out as a racist libertarian Facebook group um, with like, you know, Pinochet helicopter memes, that sort of thing. Uh, can you go into that a little bit, Johnny? Oh man, I still have like I still have folders and folders of Pinochet Pepe's. And I mean, you guys even had a based black guy. I remember on that. Based black guy, just Doctor Khan. Yeah. Doctor Khan, yeah. Doctor Khan. He had been, like the thing is, is when it first started, uh, there was a lot of these Skype calls that would happen where guys would get together and there'd be like eight people on the call. And that's how podcasts were invented, by the way. It was just podcasts were just recorded Skype calls, literally. You know, yeah, that's all. They just call it a different thing. That's all it really is. So we would all sit there and have conversations about politics, the world, whatever you know, anime, video games, uh, you know, whatever, and. And uh, Mike would get in there, and if Mike was on a call, man, there'd be like 15 people on the call, just all muted, just just listening to Mike go on and on and on and on and on on an Adderall-induced rant for like 12 and a half hours at like two in the morning, you know. And uh, dude, there was a lot of times like I passed out asleep, like listening to these to these fucking calls. Um, and yeah, they had they had all kinds of people that you wouldn't expect. Now, you know, they had their base black guy, they had their gay guys, they had their, there were multiples of those, and they had their. Um, I mean, they're weird spurgs from Europe. They had their weird spurgs from South America. They had there was the guys from beyond the wall. There was, you know, yeah, I actually just recorded a YouTube video with uh, Tercio, who was the former host of it this morning, actually. So, yeah, I love Tercio. He's a great guy. Yeah, he says uh, he says hi to you as well, by the way. Yes, yes, great dude. He knows about um, this right now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they even had, you know, they even had their own the, the, the Brown Nationalist podcast, you know, guys that were hanging out with them. And all of these things were going on all at once. And then uh, they just, I, I guess they started gaining popularity. They got bigger and bigger. Um, and then something happened to where it was no longer a roundtable. It was just going to be. Um, Jesse and Mike and, and apparently Alex, and that was going to be the company. Yeah. So this is uh, way into the future. So I want to keep it. So it was, it was a round table. Yeah. So like everybody got, everybody got in. Hateful heretic was a guy. He was a very religious Southerner. Um, there was, there was the shitlord report where they had a woman read off a bunch of like snarky right wing, uh, male takes or not male, but like media takes or whatever, you know? Um, and that was done by a couple of different females. Uh, and they had, man, it's been so long. Uh, Bulbasaur yeah. went through like an evolution of every religion on earth until he finally settled. Same thing Borzoi did like four years later. Um, yeah, now Borzoi does the racist Catholic thing, which is like, yes. well, I don't think whatever. you understand theology, but like, okay, go for it then. <laughs> that's what they all do. That's what they all do. Larry did that. Larry, Larry, like, did a Oh, that's thing. right. Yeah, he did. I forgot about that. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love Larry. I'm not, I, I love Larry Ridgeway. He's a great dude. I shared a hotel room at three, it was two or three different mania events with Larry. I think it's two. I'll be so, quite honest, I don't have an incredibly high opinion of Larry, but it's really not important for this conversation between the two of us. <laughs> but I understand, you guys have, you know, you've done shit. I know, right? like, I know my IRL, like as opposed to Larry. Yeah, on, yeah. And that's the other a, lot of people, a lot of people act, like, to be fair, because I'm trying to be as neutral as possible here, I don't want to come off as overtly biased against any sort of party. It's like, a lot of people act more spurgy online and are way more tolerable and are a lot nicer in person, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. 100%. It's just kind of the nature of the internet, like, especially if there's an anonymous culture to it. Um, it's kind of why I just openly just do things with my face now, because it's like, I'm at the point now where it's like, and, you know, one of my uh, Hispanic friends kind of got me to do this and he got me because he told me, like, you know, at some point, if people want to take you want people to take your ideas seriously, like you have to be willing to back up what you're saying behind your face, you know? Sure. And I think it's true. I think when people uh, hide themselves, like they're going to just say a lot of shit that's just more wild because there's just no accountability. You know, shit like, for example, like when Mike Enoch would um, laugh because I guess non-whites can't drink milk because he thinks they're all lactose intolerant. But the guy was lactose intolerant himself and like an insane asthmatic. It's like, dude, come on. And you're has, at the same time. And the guy has so many. <laughs> he has so many allergies. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> The only, yeah. there's only there's only one race of people that have as many allergies as Mike does. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, so here's the thing. I, I'm going to be 
you can present the case for why you think Mike Enoch is Jewish. That's fine. I'm going to be a little bit, give him a tiny bit of the benefit of the doubt since I can't definitively prove it. And I'm not sure if he is, but it's like, there's an extra thing that like, in my opinion, doesn't matter. And it's the fact that like, you know, Mike Enoch was dating a, or not dating, was married to a Jewish benibrith uh, drag queen review host. And it's like, what does this say about your values? If this sure. was someone that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with, that's my main question here. It's like, maybe you're not. Mike Edock didn't get uh, woke on the JQ until he read Kevin McDonald's book, Cultural Critique, which happened overnight. All right. So I don't think it's so shocking that he was married to one, was she half Jewish, full Jewish, right? And people change, right? It's not like you get married and then you just stay in the same lane. So Mike Enoch evolved, he changed, and then it was inconvenient for him as a you know, right-wing fascist, right, to be married to a Jew. But I don't think it's some, you know, something incredibly hypocritical about him or something disturbing about him or what does it say about his values that he was married to a Jewish woman? He was married to a Jewish woman because it was totally in consonance with his values at that time until his values changed. People change, man. Jewish by blood. Um, but it seems like, you know, if you're willing to spend almost every waking moment with a very liberal New York City Jewish woman that does this sort of thing, then it says something about you in terms of like what you actually are about when the cameras aren't rolling, when the microphone isn't on, you know? Sure. Yeah, it says that he was compatible with that woman and he changed, right? He read Culture of Critique. I mean, look what that book did to Patrick Little. Patrick Little was was earning a great living, Right, Patrick Little, Little was earning one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and then he read Cultural Critique, and it blew his mind, and he realized he needed to take down the power of the Jews, and uh, send him off in a direction where he ran for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate in California. And he became an anti-Jewish activist. So a lot of people didn't really care one way or another about Jews until they read Kevin McDonald's Culture of Critique, and. Uh, then it sends them in a whole new direction. But it doesn't take people who are grounded and send them in a whole you know, new destructive direction, right? It's people who are wide open for something new and exciting and bizarre, people who have a deep emotional need for, for the magic key. I read Cultural Critique and, and it blew my mind. It presented all sorts of challenges and perspectives that I'd never thought of before. I, I'm grateful for the challenge. And I kind of wrestled with it with the book for, for years, wrestled with it publicly on this show. It didn't, you know, reduce my observance of Judaism, didn't reduce my enjoyment of Judaism. It didn't reduce my enjoyment of my Jewish friends and Jewish community. But I thought, wow, this is a politically incorrect book. You know, I wonder you know, how much of this is fair, how much of this is important, right? How much of this is accurate? And then I read Nathan Kofnis's critique and I thought, wow, I think Kofnis has done a really strong critique of Kevin McDonald, but there are still some insights that, that I've learned from Kevin McDonald, just like basic things such as different groups have different interests. And I heard that from Kevin McDonald. I think it's a very basic level insight, but I needed to hear it from someone. And uh, I got it from, got it from KMAC. Absolutely. What about what about this aspect of it now? Um, you know, sh she being a B'nai B'rith officer of whatever sort and you know, that being like the Jewish Freemasonry and she wasn't B'nai B'rith isn't Jewish Freemasonry. Uh, she wasn't high up in B'nai B'rith. B'nai B'rith is just a another club. All right. It's another activist organization. Likely her being in the position she was in, she likely would not have been able to legally marry somebody who wasn't Jewish. Yeah, according to Jewish law, you're not supposed to marry a non-Jew. Well, guess what? 70%, 80% of American Jews marry non-Jews.
right? It's not against the law. It's not against American law. It's against religious law. Most American Jews aren't religious or go, they don't operate as though the law applies to them. So the the strong majority, we're talking two-thirds, 70%, probably 80% of non-Orthodox Jews marry non-Jews. Or wasn't converted. Um, however, what about the fact that Mike is Dr. Painovich's son? And Dr. Painovich, it was like, you know, the um, provost of the most communist labor university in the United States probably sat in on a lot of major um, AFL-CIO type stuff. You know what I mean? So probably I think that was his dad? You know, her, his mother. Oh, his mother. Okay, okay. Yes, his mother, who, who never gets mentioned in anything. His mother, mm-hmm. who, when Andrew Morantz did a big article, uh, a big, you know. Oh, man, why haven't people talked about Mike Enoch's mother? Well, why, the, why the silence about Mike Enoch's mom? Well, people don't talk a lot about my mom. Thank God for that. Remember the Morantz tapes where Mike? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah where uh, he trolled Andrew Morantz. Into, he, he, used his, he used Alex McNabb's uh, TRS guide to trolling, to troll the Morantz into getting what he wanted out of him, which was stupid. But anyways. No, I mean, I mean it ended badly for Mike. He kind of just made him look stupid when that <laughs> article came out. <laughs> yeah, the trolling thing makes you look childish. You know, it just makes you look well, not only that, but he managed to get all the bits and pieces that he wanted out of Mike to just, mm. you know, put him well, anyway, there. Okay, so when he mentions Michael's father, he, he mentions Mike's dad by name. He mentions the stepmother by name. Mike's mom is only mentioned as Mike's mom. Mike's mother. The mm. name is never mentioned in the article whatsoever. If you look her up, she's involved. Like, she, dude, she, was the, uh, she was also the provost of a little tiny, tiny little private college in Manhattan as well. So, I mean, these are not the career paths of somebody with that name in that position in that kind of communist situation that's likely white. It's not like likely white. There's likely a lot of punctuation around that word white. I mean, it's really hard to say. There have been a lot of like uh, non-Jewish... Con- 95% of American Jews identify as white. Right. Jews feel closer, more comfortable with whites than any other racial group. Jews overwhelmingly prefer to live in white neighborhoods. Communists as well throughout the years. So like, it's hard to say, mm-hmm. but um, I would say this though. I think we should definitely um, pull this little piece up regarding Mike's wife. Uh, let me pull it up here. So this is regarding the- uh, my, my opinion, his mom, Mike's mom is a little more important to all the situation than anybody thinks. Like I remember when Laura, yeah. Laura Loomer mentioned Mike's mom one time and Mike went absolutely apeshit over it. Like, yeah. Oh. Wow, that's so surprising that someone would become upset about some, you know, public reference or negative reference or critique of of his mother. Right, the most natural instinct in the world is to be protective of your mother. Yeah, like, I know his mother passed away, so like, I mean, it's a quote sensitive subject. No, obviously, right? It's a sensitive subject. Your mom just died, or whatever. But like, the way that he went after Loomer when she mentioned Mike's mom, it's like you know, you want to keep Mike's mom out of this whole thing. You know, maybe this whole like uh, white people, socialism, communism thing they've got going on, this Nazbol thing, maybe it came from Mike's mom, you know, like her communist views. I mean, it's hard to say because a lot of these views were already held by Eric Stryker long before he started associating oh, yeah. with TRS because it's There's like, you gotta, keep, you gotta understand that. And also the fact that like um, things in terms of like genuine, like national Bolshevik thought has existed in mm. a lot of countries, even like a hundred years ago. But here's sort of the thing as well. I'm, I'm kind of, what I found to be really weird whenever the whole doxing happened uh, right after the Trump election was the fact that I remember going through all of their Facebooks of Mike's family because I was just curious. And Mike's father was actually following uh, a few like openly Jewish publications. Like I think like. Wow, that's amazing. Mike's father was following some openly Jewish publications. What was it? Uh, the Jerusalem Ford, Post? Yeah, Ford, the Forward? And wow. maybe like Jerusalem Post. But it's like, wow. that is, I will admit, that is definitely strange for a gentile for a non-jew to be following on the internet uh not really i mean i I follow the bbc in in england i follow the abc in australia it's like why would this interest you you know it is but you know he was oven middle class from the suburbs of new jersey so right well i think that here's the thing though as well i don't see that happen not two of not the both of those (laughs) 
maybe if you were, and the thing is, is they're Episcopal, right? Episcopalian, supposedly. So if they're Episcopalian, what do they care about Israel? They're not really pro-Israel. They're not really Zionist. You know, I could see if they were like, Episcopalians are people too, bro. They're all over the map. Some Episcopalians care about Israel. Some Episcopalians don't, right? It's not like being an Episcopalian means you don't give a damn about anyone outside your group. Christian, that he might be, be, be more into the Jewish stuff. But as an Episcopalian, I don't see why, like religiously, there would be no reason. Well, I mean, you could argue that Israel's promoting positive values in the Middle East because, I mean, Episcopalians tend to be pretty, I guess, uh, uh, Christianity comes from Judaism. It, it shares a Hebrew Bible with Judaism. Christianity is profoundly influenced by Judaism. It'd be kind of weird to be a, a Christian and have no opinion and, and no interest on things Jewish. I is generally secular, a bit well off, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So there's also to keep that in mind that they do believe Israel is spreading American values in the Middle East. And it's like, yeah, I believe it totally. But it's also, I will say as well, regarding Mike Enoch, whether he looks Jewish. Israel spreading uh, what, Western values in the Middle East. Yeah, I, I mean, I can see the Palestinians are, are profoundly affected by the values that Israel's trying to spread to them. And the Egyptians and the Syrians and the Lebanese are all eager, along with the, the Saudis and the Iranians and their... And the other Middle Eastern countries really eager for, for Israel to spread some Western values to, to them, like monkeypox. He does look like a clone of Brett Weinstein, but at the same time, I must also be fair, I have met a pure Serbian that looks like a clone of Mike Enoch. So it's like, it's very hard to go off of looks. I mean, there's a reason in Nazi Germany you had to put stars on Jews. Like, if they all looked like Nigerians, you wouldn't have needed that, for example, right. you know? Right. That's so why there's like, all different phenotypes, and there's been all kinds of mixing, and, you know. Well, they've been in Europe for a long time, so, like, obviously, yeah. Several times. <laughs> and, off um, and on for a very long time, yes. And a lot of people, you know, I'm sure Jews have mixed uh, in the white American population and have often converted out of Judaism. Like, that wouldn't shock me in the slightest, I'm sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> um, so this, uh, this channel that this interview is playing on is channels called the Afro-Sephardic Society. So about 80% of Jews in the world are Ashkenazi, meaning Jews of European origin. So Sephardim are a distinct minority. They tend to be fairly low achievers, all right? So almost all famous Jews and high-achieving Jews are Ashkenazi. There's about a 10 IQ point difference between Ashkenazi Jews and Sephardi Jews. So all of Israel's prime ministers have been Ashkenazi. It happened back, you know, throughout the Inquisition. It happened, um, I mean, that's what happened to American, to you know, like a lot of the, what we call American churchianity, Christianity. A lot of them are held by, uh, higher offices held by crypto Jews. I mean, there's even some like uh, Christian Zionist organizations that are just literally headed by Orthodox Jews, which I find to be very funny. But yeah, it is what it is. So I want to play. It's not that funny why Christians would, uh, some Christians would crave a, a strong relationship with Jews. And it's not that surprising why some Christians would have a really negative attitude towards Jews. It'd be hard to be a serious Christian and be indifferent to the Jews. See this clip here. It is going to be Mike Enoch's wife doing a fashy Christmas carol. Let's listen. <laughs> Let me know if you guys can hear it. Right. Speaking of fascism and strong people. Oh, hold on, hold on, pause it, pause it. Real yeah. quickly, um, so before Mike Enoch got doxxed, he would basically tell his audience that, like, his wife was, like, I believe an English major and that she was extremely, extremely based and red-pilled and that, like, he used his alpha skills to, like, kind of turn her into a trad woman. There are a lot of Jews who are based and red-pilled. All right, Orthodox Judaism is pretty based and red-pilled. Right, most Orthodox Jews I know are... You know, far more based and red-pilled than your average white non-Jew. Just want to make that very clear before we listen to this. And, you know, the fact that she does, she literally did drag shows. So I misspoke here. just want to say that she was not doing those shows. She just reviewed them. I thought that she did. That's me correcting myself so that there's no nothing wrong on the record um, before, before Mike got doxxed. But yes, this is who his wife is um, in this video he's about to play. This is her writing a poem 
that all of the other audience members that you can hear, like, uh, bragging about her, that she wrote this, they all know she's Jewish when this happens. So just want to make that very clear for all of you guys to understand. All Speaking right. of fascism and strong female leads. And you guys can hear that, right? Yeah, it sounds fine. Okay, cool. Here is uh, this year's, this is going to be our, our TRS uh, tradition for Christmas. Here's this year's, uh, the night oh, before Christmas reading. Okay. Featuring. Right. Yeah. Am I allowed to even say? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Know. Featuring, featuring Mike Enoch's I wife. She, she wrote this, and I, she read it herself. This is amazing. She was really proud of it. I don't believe females can, can read. Okay. They can read and write. A nation of teachers. Check it out. She did a great job. It was a TRS Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even my spouse. The cucks were all prepped for the ovens with care, just waiting for morning to pop them in there. A nation of teachers were tucked in their beds, while visions of vibrancy danced in their heads. I, with my reason, and my mom with her cats, had just settled in for our usual spats. When out on the street there arose such a clatter, I rose to the bait to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, resolved with an iron will to go full fash. The moon shone so bright on the white fallen snow, like the glare of the media on objects below, and what to my wondering eyes should appear, eight Episcopal priests and all of them queer. I'm a seasoned old troller, so lively and quick. I knew in a flash I could rally my hicks. More rapid than eagles, my edgelords, they came to drive out interlopers and call them by name. Out communists, out socialists, left libertarians, out betas, out allies, SJW contrarians, out beaners and dindus and Muslim jihadists. Spare us your Syrian refugee problems. Just fash away, fash away, fash away all. Like the dry heaps we feel with SJWs nearby, when faced with well-reasoned arguments, they cry. Ad hominem attacks have no effect. So, I mean, I'm not going to play the whole thing. You get the gist of it. But yes, this leads us to one very, very crucial question here. Okay, I don't find it surprising that a Jew would uh, write a fashy and perform a fashy song, right? Jews were among the biggest and most important and earliest supporters of Mussolini's fascism in, in Italy. Which I need to ask you. <laughs> it's right. like, why the fuck would she do this? Because it's like, what's the story? And has Mike ever tried? Why would she do it? Because it was funny. It was performance. Have you ever seen Jews do stand up? Have you ever seen Jews act? Right? Have you ever seen Jews take a front row you know, performance, take uh, take the stage and uh, perform? Right? It's something that Jews do. They're people of the book. They're people of performance. They're, they're storytellers. It's not surprising that uh, there'd be some edgy right-wing stuff uh, performed by Jews as well. Jews tend to have very high verbal IQs. Try to explain this, ever. Nope. I've never heard Mike try to explain it. <laughs> I've, never heard Mike try to explain. I've never heard him try to explain anything. Like the whole, from all, all of the things. What's there to explain? He fell in love with a woman. She fell in love with him. They got married. They seemed to have a pretty good relationship. Then he got red-pilled on the Jews. And he got doxxed. And uh, their way of life was no longer possible, right? Uh, so I had a big debate with the Age of Treason blogger who's also married to a Jew. And, and this guy, he is so intense in his attitude towards Jews, he wants all Jews gone from, from the planet. But the fact is that he, he fell in love and married and the mother of his kid is, is Jewish. So he's kind of stuck with that. He wasn't red-pilled on the Jews when he married her. People change. Um from him being Jewish, like when that when that came up, I was one of the people that had questions. You know, when all that stuff came out with Docs, I'm sure. And flashy struggle session, and I was told just like you know, you don't have to listen. You know, I mean, you can. I mean, you know, they were. In, I was in the. I was in the Inner Circle Facebook group. In the Inner Circle Facebook group, Mike said, "No, it's not me. My wife is the Jewish one." You know, and that was the end of it. That was literally the end of it. And that's what everybody who you know, and everybody who who didn't believe that for some reason, the forum went down, and when it came back, everybody that disagreed was gone. Weird. Really weird, man. Yeah, strange how that happened. They were, but you know, hey, that's fascism, though, right? Any dissenters get purged. Same as common. Right. I mean, it's all the same. Like, yeah. So, 
So that's sort of the thing. It's like, what was this? And it's like, since Mike never answered, I'm just curious on your own personal speculation. Had you ever met this woman before? I had never, no, I had, when I met them, he was already long divorced and was already gotcha. doing, he was dating, uh, he was, he was dating every fashy chick he could, that he could, I guess, you know, whatever he was, he was trying to find himself a fashy waifu. Oh boy. A legit fashy waifu. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, there's, I mean, a lot of these girls want to throw themselves at the, you know, at the, uh, the chairman, you know, chairman, have them. but, um, <clears throat> here's sort of the thing. It's like, I wonder if this was like just performance art to them, if they just thought this was just fucking funny, if it was just a, cause it's just, just contempt for the audience. It's just, just like my audience members, I don't think highly of them and we're just going to do this. And if I get caught, I'm not gonna explain it. Cause fuck them. I mean, that's what it sounds like. That is what it, every day more and more what it sounds like because he's been caught. They've been caught like, and, and in that fashion struggle session, the rebel show, you can hear it when they, so they say they're playing characters. Like seventh son is a character. Mike Enoch is a character. You know, they say they're playing characters. Uh, when Alex went to court with, uh, what's his face? Did you say that? The one, the, the doctor, remember that when he had to go to court for his uh, thing? Very vaguely, yeah, because he's yeah. like making fucking recordings talking about like torturing black kids on an EMT. Uh, yeah, truck, which is fucking retarded. I don't know why you would do that. Yeah, I don't know why you would tell. A lot of the things that, <laughs> that would be on. like if you were making recordings about like electrocuting black people, <laughs> like on your job site. Right. No, yeah. Oh, we were hanging up nooses and stuff. No, there's no, this is, that's ridiculous. But that's what they yeah. did. The stuff that they allowed on the network, it was, was amazing. The stuff, I mean, the show, the, the alt right rises, I was on that show. That's the show that got me in all kinds of trouble because I said the N word 100,000 times. Um, that show, they talked about all kinds of Fed posty type stuff. There was the, the war room that was, there was, never should have happened like and then the dr narcan stuff which is what got alex in trouble yes dr narcan that's what yeah. it was called yeah, it was like stories from you know stories from behind the wheel of the volunteer EMT. you know and that's just stuff that you shouldn't put out there and he got in trouble for it but anyways i mean yeah dude i wouldn't want to be in a fucking if i'm dying i wouldn't want after hearing those i wouldn't want to be in that fucking thing with him <laughs> or any of them actually like, you know, but yeah. that's, that's the kind of service that's the kind of service you're going to end up with in america because that's where we're at now you know, because that's where, whether it's service in, in, an, uh, in an ambulance or service at a restaurant or service at a bank, that's what we get here. That's America. But anyways, yeah, it's back an open air mental asylum, absolutely. Yeah, oh, 100%. Um, Alex said during that trial that he performs on a comedy show. So right. these guys are a comedy show. This is their own words. They perform on a comedy show. Mike and, and Jesse both said on that fashy struggle session that they are playing characters on a show. So, so the fact so that they are actually playing characters and they have contempt for their audience is likely what is going on. That this is a character thing and that, like, but. But the show, you know, we were still skipping ahead because the show was was still, um, when they got docs, a lot of people left, right? A lot of people. It's not that they have contempt for their audience, which they do. They have contempt for themselves, right? When you have contempt for yourself, when you don't treat yourself with respect, when you don't take yourself seriously, when you don't take your own life seriously, when you don't care about the direction of your life, then you're going to be careless with your own well-being. You're going to be careless with other people's well-being. It's not like they're taking great care of themselves and they just have this malicious contempt for their audience, right? People treat other people as they treat themselves. People left. A lot of people were just oh, like, yeah. I ain't got nothing to do with this, you know, and, and a lot of people stuck around. You know, I did. A lot of people were loyal, you know, and they stuck around because they believed they did the thing where they believed their friend instead of what they saw on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. And much of the audience deserves contempt. Internet. You know, which is what yeah. real friends actually do. Real friends actually, when your friend looks you in the eye and says, dude, that's not me. You know, that's somebody else or whatever. That's a lie or whatever. You're like, all right, well, you're my friend. You wouldn't lie. And a good comment in the chat. Most of the people at TRS are married with kids. Yeah, so... TRS is not among the most antisocial, so, you know, socially destructive uh, groups out there on the right. So you can tell that a lot of these guys are married with kids and all right, they're not, they're not total losers. Lie to me. You have no reason to lie to me because you're my friend. Friends don't lie to other friends. Real friends don't lie to their friends. And so when they looked you in the eye and told you, no, that wasn't true. Okay. I believe you. you're my friend. I believe you. And that's what a lot of this was. And once you get like that, they're your friends, everything they say, you know, you, you start to see everything through that lens of being friends. And it's hard to, to see flaws and things that are wrong and red, what would normally be red flags because you're friends with people, you know?
Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of to just rewind a little bit to get back into the history here. Uh, I have archived here is August 3rd of 2014 was when the first TRS radio episode came out. I think the primary focus at the time was the Mike Brown riots in Ferguson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of like, you know, that I think propelled a lot of their popularity. A lot of people uh, mainstream wise didn't like seeing that. And they were capitalizing it on a, on a very smart way uh, that just uh, didn't exist on places like places like Oakley and Anthony didn't exist anymore. And they were trying to fill in that general, very offensive humor market. Oh, yeah. Right. You know I mean? Anthony. Maybe where Open Anthony was around, actually, um, still, but it wasn't what it used to be in terms of like how influential they were, if I recall correctly. And then I remember um, originally there was the Republican primaries. It kind of just started, and I think they back they were backing actually Scott Walker for president. Um, I guess because uh, they were against teacher unions until Donald Trump basically came on and called Mexicans like rapists and all that, you know, all the stuff. You understand? Yes. And they were like, "Oh, I love this guy." Right. And then basically they really, really rode the coattails of the Trump election hard. Yes. Very, very hard. They they did a lot of the whole like we influenced this election. Yes, absolutely. Which. That's sort of the thing. It's like, I can't tell if, because here's the thing. I remember when uh, the election had finished and in Philadelphia, Trump won by a hair against Hillary Clinton in 2016. I remember Mike uh, would brag on the Daily Show afterwards about how uh, they would send in like poll watchers to like make sure that like blacks weren't doing voter fraud. And like, that was like, and that they had like secret connections to like Stephen Miller in the White House. Oh God, and like, Yeah. And it's like, I have to wonder, like, are there actual Republican Party operatives that are talking to these people and trying to make them think that they are, uh, that the TRS is influencing the Republican Party or is TRS just lying? Well, I suspect that they have an exaggerated sense of their own importance, like almost everybody, right? It's just that they do a performance and uh, part of the performance is, you know, this exaggerated sense of their own importance, an exaggerated sense of their own wisdom. Uh, exaggerated sense of their own influence, right? When you go online, you step into a stream that it tends to make you more impulsive, tends to encourage you to reveal dark things about yourself and to talk about dark topics that you wouldn't normally when you're in face-to-face interaction with people. You'll tend to have an exaggerated sense of your own importance, your own influence, your own wisdom, and you'll tend to develop an exaggerated uh, need, desire for admiration, and when you start getting that from an audience, you'll be so needy for it that you will start following that admiration and become captured by your audience. So I was watching a video the other day, How Not to Be Socially Awkward, and it talked about the importance of of goodbyes. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm really bad with goodbyes. Like, I, I like that in real life. Like, I don't really hang around much to say goodbye. So uh, a lot of people I know, they make a, a special habit of, of, you know, finding people that they've had, you know, positive interactions with at, at a party, at a dinner, at uh, some sort of so- social gathering. So nice to meet you. We must do this again. I'm just out of there. Like I, yeah, I just do the abrupt ending, just leave thing in, in real life. So I noticed there are a lot of comments in the chat last night. Luke Ford, master of the abrupt ending. Does Luke leave someone abruptly in real life? Yes. That's basically how I roll. So epic intro, brusque goodbye. So yeah, that's how I roll and it is socially awkward and it's not something that I recommend, all right? It's an area where I need to grow spiritually because my tendency is to not pay very much attention to the social niceties, right? I have not been renowned for being polite and courteous and considerate and respectful towards other people and towards myself. And one of the ways I've manifested this is just abruptly leaving, not paying any attention to the social niceties, such as saying goodbye. Room to grow. But that's it. And uh, 
I think I, I made a less abrupt goodbye this evening. I kind of you know, led into it. It uh, ha- had you know a little bit of a direction. It wasn't brusque. It wasn't brusque. It wasn't abrupt. It was it was a gentle bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>